The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio. Featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. Hello, Power Partners, and welcome to Radio's Finest Power Hour. It is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive talk. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we are your personal growth success coaches here on the airwaves with you every week. We know you've got a plan for your life. You have set goals. You know where you want to go. And there's going to be some curveballs in this road called life, and that's where we come in. We hope to ignite your power and help you shoot for the stars. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you for writing, speaking, and media interviews. Call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyleproductions.com to book your session. And this miracle moment is too many people overvalue what they are not. And they do not value what they are. And that is from Malcolm Fords. Well, today's show, we are going to be looking at medical tests and which ones you need and which ones you don't. Some rules for gardening and outdoor entertaining and the myths behind getting rich quick as a writer. So we're going to jump right into this. But Heather, first of all, I just want to announce to our listening audience that we probably will be having a major announcement in the next couple weeks. We are excited because uh, this show, Star Style Be The Star You Are, is now going to be on the Voice America network, probably starting towards the end of the month. World Talk Radio is going to be um, emerged with Voice America and we'll be on the Empowerment Station. So great. we're not, yeah, it's going to be great. And I, I believe we're going to be changing times for our live show and we might be changing days. So stay posted. We'll be blogging and all of that about it, but we are excited. So, and then the other thing to announce is that Be The Star You Are Charity has for the fourth year in a row been honored as a top nonprofit. So supporters and volunteers and donors have spoken 
Oaken, and you can read the reviews on the website. So now getting right in to the medical test, do you understand the purpose of your medical tests? Do you know if you are having a screening test or a diagnostic test? I know that most of us don't know how to decode the results. So right now in Health Matters, our health professional, Heather Brittany, is going to lay it out for us. So Heather, tell us about medical tests. What do we need? What don't we need? And how do we know the difference? Oh, well, to begin with, medical is so confusing unless you're in the medical industry. I know so many times when doctors, they speak all that kind of a different language when they explain things to you. And you feel kind of lost, and sometimes you feel a little embarrassed about, you know, that you almost feel like you're expected to know why the doctor's doing this or, or what tests you need, and you speak a totally different language. But the best thing when going into the doctor is coming in armed with information um, so that that way you are really getting screened and tested for what you need to get tested for. And that way, too, you also know why the doctor may additionally add um, some things. So when it comes down to sort of the basics to divide between the two, you know, there's tons of different tests, but there's two really main categories. One is a diagnostic test and one is a screening test. So really what a diagnostic is, when you kind of think when you, you get your car to go in, diagnostic tests are usually if you're going into the doctor saying, you know, I've been having these really bad stomach aches or my head's been hurting or when you are coming in with an initial issue, a diagnostic test is going to go through, do some testing to kind of find out an either yes or no answer. Either yes it is, you know, I'm just a cancer or yes it is a stomach flu or yeah. It's a easy yes or no. A screening usually is something, you know, as we know that we go in for annual testing that's kind of going to give us more measures of something. If something is normal, smaller, bigger, outside of range, you know, uh, you know, those kinds of things. So when it first goes in of how to understand, you know, your, um, your, uh, your diagnostic, your yes or no, uh, when they give you yes or no things, yes or no are typically diagnosed, and your, your body shows these kind of diseases there or, you know, infections, and that's what brings you into it, you know, the warning signs. Um, doctors, when they do these tests, this is why, um, you know, that way they can check, you know, your, your, your blood, your lipid, all these kinds of things. Um, something that's kind of similar with screening tests, um, for example, uh, well, actually, let me get back to diagnosis. Um, usually, so with diagnosis, when they're going to give you that yes or no, something that can sometimes be confusing in medical is positive or negative things. When we usually hear positive, that's a good thing. We think positive stuff. But when it comes to your health, when they tell you something is positive, that's not what we want. We want a negative. Right. You want negative. Right. That's good so point. Again, good that point. can be really confusing. I know um, there was, you know, when I working, uh, you know, previous in reproductive health, you know, doing uh, HIV screenings, for example, uh, there were, you know, for the most of people know that you want to be HIV negative, but there were people that, there was sort of, you know, especially, you know, working in San Diego, there, there was a sort of a lack of communication that you really had to explain, uh, you know, negative is a good thing, you know, positive is a bad thing, because sometimes people hear negative and they think, oh, my gosh, you know, what, what a negative result, that's that's not good. So make sure, you know, but for uh, just as a general, if your doctor, again, is, is uh, you know, looking at, um, mole samples and to see if there's a potential, you know, that uh, they could be precancerous. If they say it's positive, for, you know, that, that's not good. Um, then further, so that's something, too, of 
of, uh, you know, the, the negatives and positives, understanding, you know, to have that communication with your doctor. But then when getting to screening tests, um, so, again, what screening tests do is they help spot the conditions, you know, such as cancer, high blood pressure, uh, just sort of, you know, your, your overall things. If, um, usually this is the stuff that you go in uh, because it's that, you know, every couple years or you've reached that certain age and, you know, they want to measure things. Um, it's sort of what we consider a relative value, um, that it isn't a yes or no, it isn't a definite. And, and that's something to keep in mind, too. Um, a lot of times, um, just speaking past experience, working in medical, people come in, we do various tests, um, and if certain things aren't to give us a yes or no, we kind of need a full picture of what's giving It's just relative value to find out. If potentially, you know, there's there's uh, different levels and of things that go on. Um, so once you, you know, for example, if you have been diagnosed with something, usually these the screenings can be further testing. Um, they'll kind of yield, you know, certain numbers, uh, and we want to know if you're in range with things. The good thing with screenings is that a lot of times, you know, and, and every case is different. But um, depending on what you're screening for, if there is something, for example, if um, you go in and you do uh, high blood pressure, or not high blood pressure, excuse me, um, high cholesterol, if your tests come back showing that you do have a high cholesterol, there are things that isn't a death sentence. There's, some, there's many things that you can do to improve your health. So usually what the doctor will do, they'll you know, maybe put you on particular medications, talk about change in diet, exercise, and then have you come back in a couple months to rescreen see if there's been any kind of improvement. And, you know, again, there's always danger zones, and both high and low, as, as we know in life, you can always have too much of something or too little of something. Um, but, but with these screens, it gives us um, sort of a range for improvement with things. Um, I just know, personally, you know, a lot of times when you go into the doctor, uh, you may be going in for one thing, and then they order tests. Well, a lot of times, I always ask, especially, you know, with the charges of health insurance, if you have a great health insurance that covers everything, um, still always ask the doctor why they're asking these tests, just so you know for yourself. Because there's been times I've left, you know, the doctor's office and I've had blood taken, and I didn't really know why, and I didn't really ask. And I and so I still don't know what, what exactly they're doing, why, what was the reason behind that. Uh, so always kind of ask so that you have that communication uh, with your doctor. And, again, we want to always make, um, you know, the room for improvement, but, but sometimes if, for example, if a doctor is going to put you on a particular medication, they need more information about you. Um, getting back into a gynecological aspect, uh, for many women, uh, when we put them on a birth control, on a pill, there is a the potential when you're given estrogen that estrogen um, can affect your blood pressure, and we want to make sure women um, with high blood pressure are not taking estrogen because there is um, the chance that they could have blood clots, which is a deadly condition. So a lot of times, you know, doc, that's why, you know, doctors, when you go in, they usually want to do the basics of high weight um, and blood pressure. And blood pressure, a lot of times, um, you know, when you go into the doctor, there's this thing we call white coat syndrome, that when you go in, you get really nervous. The doctor's office in general, you kind of feel like it's going to be all bad news or something. So a lot of times people get really stressed when they're in a doctor's office and their blood pressure is risen because they're feeling an alternation of stress. Um, so sometimes, you know, if, if, if we get a high reading in blood pressure, 
It could just be nerves, but there could be more going on. So that's usually why if you have a high blood pressure, and this can affect people who are thin, fat, doesn't matter. Um, if it's really high and they retake, sometimes they'll retake it after you've maybe settled in. If it's still really high, um, that's usually when doctors will order a blood test for cholesterol because usually what a leading um, cause of high blood pressure can be cholesterol, meaning your arteries are clogging up your blood. Your heart is not getting as much blood as it should. Um, so that's why they would order a test like that to make sure that there isn't an underlying condition. But the biggest thing is just always having, you know, that communication with your doctor. And Heather, what about like, having somebody with you, you know, to like be taking notes or to um, be asking some questions? Because sometimes when we go in for tests, I think we, uh, because as you said with the white coat syndrome, I think sometimes people get intimidated with doctors and they just think that anything they say is like God saying it and then they forget to ask or they don't, they feel stupid asking a question. Well, yeah. Do you think well, it's I good think to take one, an advocate? I, I think this one particularly goes out to more elderly patients. A lot of times um, people don't know the, the questions to ask or they're not writing things down and they're too embarrassed to ask after. And, um, I, sometimes some doctor's office, you know, for younger patients, you know, they, they don't. But, you know, if you think of either either with your kids or elderly people, having someone, if if you in person get frazzled, um, let your doctor know that you'd like someone there with you. Bring, you know, a, a family, a friend member, whoever. That way um, they can take down notes, ask questions that you may not have asked, and that way kind of tell you back of what the doctor discussed with you. Uh, because, again, what you said is sometimes... Um, doctors don't know everything, and a lot of times why they're doing these tests to begin with is because they're not really sure what's going on. And a lot of times people are very nervous and scared to ask doctors because there is that sense of intimidation, again, that doctors must know so much, and, you know, they're able to look at this chart with all these crazy lines and and tell you what something is. Um, So if you're someone that feels overwhelmed by that, again, um, bring someone with you. Or if you're going on your own, maybe do your, um, you know, little research before. If you're going in because uh, you're, you're concerned about a mole, or come in, you know, letting them know, you know, look at, you know, research pictures or, or, and let someone know, you know, your family history. And that's always something to, um, to make sure you're getting the most proper test is being honest with your doctors. I think in general there's that thing that people, um, we want our doctors to believe we are in the best health. So people will, you know, uh, say they, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't participate in any risky behaviors, you know, they exercise every day, which may not be the case. And doctors um, are not going to probe you and disbelieve you. Uh, so they're going to take, just as you are taking their word, they're going to take yours. So the biggest thing to make sure that your doctor is giving you the correct care and making sure that you're having the correct testing is being honest with them about any prior conditions, any any family history, and any um, personal activities, you know, such as you're, you're out in the sun all day and maybe you're not wearing SPF or you just recently, you know, or you have a family history of skin cancer, being open with your doctor so that they know um, overall to, to take the right steps to give you the best care overall. You know, another thing I just wanted to point out, and I know you've mentioned this before, but if you have several different doctors, make sure that everybody's on the same page because one doctor may order a test and then you go to another doctor for a different thing. Like say 
maybe you've been diagnosed with diabetes, but you also have high cholesterol, so you have two different doctors, let's say. Well, they might be ordering the same test, so you may have a redundancy. So I would say the most uh, that what's very important is that all your doctors have all your records in one place, and you keep copies of things. Yeah, and that's one, one thing to always ask, you know, it's especially sometimes it, uh, regarding with health insurance, things can be in-network. Um, for example, this isn't a plug, but like with Kaiser, all the doctors have access to every. So if you're going to one for uh, psychiatric care, one for, you know, women's care, one for mental, whatever, everything's on a whole network. But if you're using uh, things that with a different insurance and you have doctors all over and they're not connected, they're not on, you know, a, a whole computer site together, uh, make sure whenever you have tests done or lab or that you sign a waiver saying that you would like them released either to your doctor or to yourself. You leave yourself, and then that way um, compile sort of a little binder when you go to the doctors that you have information from other doctors, or if you ever change doctors, make sure you get a release of records. Um, so that way when you go to future doctors, they'll have a knowledge of what medications you prior take or what tests, because a lot of times we don't remember the names of what we took or what tests or when things were. Here you'll have actual documentation, and this can also work, too, to make sure if you're seeing various doctors that they're not um, putting you on met different medications that could have an adverse effect. You want to make sure that you're getting, you know, proper amount and that everything's working correctly. That can happen sometimes that people have multiple doctors and they're not sharing with their doctors that, oh, they're on a high blood pressure medication, but they're also um, on a heart medication and something that two medications together can cause issues. So, Make sure you always have records of everything and keep that with you when you go to various appointments so that your doctor is on top of everything. Yeah, that's really an important important tip. Well, Heather, that was a great uh, great segment. I learned a lot about screening and diagnostics and also just the importance of, you know, having having the records ha- and asking questions and not being afraid of the white coats. I think that's all so critical if we want to stay healthy. We have to be our own best champion. So give out the websites. Most definitely. We want you to go to org as well as com. And we're going to be back from break in just a bit. And we're going to be talking about some rules in the garden. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And uh, this is Star Style, Be The Star You Are. And I'll be right back. Don't go away. The Star You Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Here are a few things that bosses need to know. If you're a boss and you have unhappy, underachieving employees, the problem may be you. Here are a few ideas to help you be a great boss. Be a role model. Set the pace for your company. Talk regularly about job performance with your employees. Make your workers the most important people because they are. Let your employees know that their opinions are valued, that they count. Don't micromanage. Praise often and criticize only when necessary. Hire talented people. 
great bosses surround themselves with smart, savvy employees. Your workforce is a reflection of who you are. So choose and manage wisely. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit StarStyleProductions.com or call 925-377-STAR. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Be the star you are. You are the star. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. You'll find all you need in a Well, we're glad that you stayed tuned here to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you for joining me. My name is Cynthia Bryan. It is springtime in our backyards, and summer is around the corner. So what are some great things to do to prepare for fun in the sun? First of all, I wanted to share with you a few rules to grow by. This is how you can get it right in your garden this summer because most of us plan on spending lots of time outside when the weather is nice and the days are long. We have barbecues and picnics on the patio and, you know, people are coming over just to chat and your kids are running through the sprinklers and all that fun stuff. So it makes sense to make your garden look as pretty as possible. So first of all, when you're at the nursery, you want to buy the best. Look for plants that have healthy foliage and no roots creeping out of the nursery container bottom. You know, those drain holes? Because if there are roots coming out of the drain holes, it means that the plant is uh, root-bound. And then it's going to have a harder time being transplanted. Keep in mind that buying smaller is smarter. When you have a choice, buy little plants. You know they have those little 4-inch nursery pots? They're less expensive. The 4-inch ones, depending on what your what kind of plant it is, but they're usually a couple of dollars or less. They're easier to handle. And what's interesting, they catch up to the larger ones as soon as winter comes. And so where you can buy the gallons, but you're going to pay probably three times as much. And sometimes they're not as, uh, they're harder to transplant and they don't grow as quickly. Smaller plants are always your best bet. And if you need multiples to fill out a bed, what you might want to do is buy a flat, a flat of 
plants is always the least expensive you can go. It's gonna you'll get a flat which will have like sixty four plants in it for under twenty dollars, and those almost always grow really well. Make sure to check and and make sure that the flat's really healthy and full. Now, gallon sized plants, on the other hand, they might start around anywhere from six to ten dollars. And they do provide instant effects if you need something big and you need it fast. But if you are willing to wait, you'll find that things catch up. And a great example of that was um, several years ago when I was planning my own landscaping, I spent a lot of money buying a 15-gallon magnolia tree. It was several hundred dollars, and I was very excited because I'd been in the South, and I really admire these magnolia trees. Well, my mom had a sapling that she was, it was just in a six-inch pot, and she gave it to me. Well, the sapling was like two inches tall, and this 15-gallon magnolia that I had bought was, you know, 15 feet tall. Very interesting, within a year and a half, the trees were the same size, and within two years, the little sapling was bigger than the 15-gallon one that I'd spent hundreds on. And today, both trees are mature, and the sapling is the bigger of the two and the lusher of the two. So just remember the rule, smaller is smarter. Check the plant tags. Find out how big the plants are going to grow and whether they need sun or shade. And then you want to choose plants that are going to thrive in the spot that you have in mind for them. If it says full sun, that means you got to plant in a, a spot that's going to get six hours of sun a day. If it says partial sun, then it can have three hours. If it says partial shade, you want to make sure that there is some shade because if it's in full sun, the plant is going to burn and you don't want that to happen. So the tags are really important. And one of, I think, the biggest things the tags are important for is the size. We tend to look at something at, at the nursery or garden center. And even if it's in a gallon pot, it you know, you just can't imagine that this small 12-inch pot of flowers or a bush is going to end up being five feet across and 20 feet high. So you have to buy appropriate plants for the appropriate space. So no matter how much you fall in love with a plant, read the tags or do some homework before with a good garden book or even online. Now consider compost. Unless you have your own compost pile at home, which I do and I can tell you how to make it because it's so simple, or you have perfect garden soil that drains well, which almost nobody has. I know that mine is clay. You want to buy some bag compost to add to the soil before planting your annuals, your edibles, or your ornamentals. Now, trees and native plants generally don't need the added compost, but the flowers do. Now, it is sold, if you have a large space, it's sold in bulk by the cubic, um, by the cubic yard. And some nurseries also sell bigger bags buy one and two cubic foot bags, but I like buying in bulk where you can buy five yards, 10 yards, 20 yards. I have uh, so much garden that I need at least like 30 yards, which is a lot of work. It takes me several weeks to haul it in. But you want to avoid bag compost that looks as though it's been uh, piled or stored in hot sun for months because if that is if that's the way it is, it's not going to do much good for your soil. You want to have really rich soil and so... The compost has to 
be real earthy smelling. It has to crumble in your hand, look like chocolate cake. And if you want to make your own compost, it, even if you just have a small balcony or a small postage stamp yard, making your own compost is so easy. And it's all about reusing, recycling, repurposing. So you're saving the environment and you're improving your soil and your garden. And here's what you can do. You can just keep a bucket with a lid on it under your sink in the kitchen or if you have a garage or you have, you know, an outside balcony or a patio you can put it on, you can keep it there. And you just put all your food scraps, not meat, but you can put fish bones, uh, coffee grinds, tea bags, eggshells, any kinds of leafy greens in there, potato chips, anything that is edible, you can put in your compost bin. Then if you have uh, leaves in your garden or lawn clippings or newspaper, you can shred all this up and put it in there and mix it up. And if you just keep turning it, it's going to make a really nice, uh, rich compost. And then you can put it on to your plants. And I just, I add everything to my compost pile. And uh, it's amazing how it really does help. And it cuts down on the price that you have to do to improve your soil because Everybody has to improve their soil. So those are some of the tips you do at the nursery. Now, I want to get into the improving the soil in your garden. And again, we're talking about rules to grow by. So how can you first improve your soil? First, you want to dig up the existing garden soil to a depth of about 10 inches. So breaking up any clods, remove any stones as you go. And unless you're planting trees or natives, it's best to spread about four to six inches of compost over the area and then work it in. Get that spade out and work it in. And then you can rake the soil until it's level and smooth. Now, you have to plan to water. You want to set up a watering system if you don't already have one. Now, a lot of people really like drip. It's ideal for most plants, but soaker hoses or hose and sprinklers work well, too. I tend to be more of a soaker hose and a sprinkler girl uh, just because I find it to just cover more bases and I haven't had any problems with the uh, the water coming from above. Provide room to grow. Now you want to allot plants enough space to reach their, their optimum sizes. So again, go back to that label. If you're in doubt of how big it's going to be, read the label because it really, really is tempting to cram everything together really closely because when you buy small, as I suggest that you do, you think that, you know, oh, it looks so bare. But if you crowd the plants as they grow, some are going to die out and actually nothing will grow well because all plants need air circulation and they need sunshine. And this is especially true if you're going to be doing roses, roses like to have space around them. So that means you can plant some kind of a beneficial plant that will uh, eliminate, you know, insects and uh, attract beneficial insects like bees and, and ladybugs. You could plant something like lavender. Roses and lavender go well together. But you don't want to just fill your rose beds with other underplantings. Because the roses, they need a lot of air circulation and they need the sun. Now, once you've planted everything, the plants really need um, to be watered well. And I suggest before you take them out of the pots or the flats or whatever container they come in from the nursery or garden center, give them a good soaking. 
I usually buy my plants later in the afternoon from if I'm going to buy things. Uh, I mean, actually closer to evening, so it's cool. I take them home, I put them out, outside, and then I water them really thoroughly. And then I don't plant to the next morning. Now, planting, what you want to do is you want to slide the root ball out of the container very carefully. And how you do this is you loosen the roots on the sides and, you know, wear gloves. I, I'm, I wear gloves and I still get, you know, my hands get really bad, but... If you're wearing gloves, that'll keep at least a lot of the cuts and things that happen to you. And by the way, speaking of gloves and working in soil, make sure that you get a tetanus shot uh, whenever it's necessary. I believe it's every 10 years you have to have a tetanus shot. And what most people don't realize is that most people who get tetanus, it doesn't come from rusty nails and stepping on a piece of metal. It comes from getting a cut and working in the dirt. Because that's where the, um, the, the bacteria resides. So back to the root ball, sliding it out of the container. You can kind of tap on the container all the way around. That's what I do. It's really kind of hard. I actually take the back of a hand trowel and I pound on it a, a little bit. Then you can use your shovel and dig a planting hole that's roughly twice as wide as the root ball and as deep as the re- root ball. You want to set the plant in the hole and spread out the uh, the roots. That's very important. Don't just a lo- what a lot of the plants when they come out of a container, especially the four inch ones, they just look like a little square. Loosen up the soil around them and spread out the roots. Because otherwise, if you're in a deer prone area, what happens is you'll plant something and then the deer will come along and even if they don't like it. They may pull it out, you know, and then they just leave it on top of the soil. That happens to me all the time if I don't spread the roots and tap it down. So you dig that hole, and then you set the plant in the hole. Now, trees, shrubs, and perennials, they need to sit about an inch above the grade because that allows them um, to settle better. And annuals can be flush with the ground. If your soil is loam and it drains really well, and loamy soil is the best soil to have, then you can backfill the hole with it. If it's sandy or heavy clay, like my soil is heavy clay, then you want to mix some compost into the backfill. Now, again, with trees and native plants, you don't usually need the compost. It might be too rich for them because they're... The natives are going to be used to that clay soil or that sandy soil. And by adding that extra, that extra compost, you actually might be, uh, you know, tilting the balance of power there. Then the next step is you're going to prevent mulch. I mean, spread mulch because that prevents weeds and it helps retain the moisture. I like to lay down about three inches of mulch. Now, what is mulch? You can use Uh, The bark, you can use shredded bark, you can use that gorilla hair, you put that over the soil. Even You can even use leaves if that's what you have, if you don't want to buy anything. You don't want to put it against the trunks of trees or the crowns or the stems because if you do that, you're going to cause rot. So always have like a circle around it around your uh, your tree trunk or your the the root stalk, the top of the stem of your rose or your bush. But make sure to mulch. 
It's a great mulch is really important because in the winter, in the summer, it keeps in the moisture, and in the winter, it keeps in the heat. So, compost and mulch are a bit different, and you actually need both. And then finally, you want to nurture the new growers. All young ornamentals, even the natives and the drought-resistant ones, they need deep watering right after planting. So when you irrigate them, irrigate deeply and thoroughly with a hose. Even if you plan to let drip irrigation or automatic sprinklers or something take over later, when you first plant anything, you want to irrigate them deeply with a hose. Then after that, for at least for a week, you want to give them a regular watering until you think that they've actually taken root. And then beyond that, then they're going to usually do fine on their own and then whatever you're watering the rest of your garden. So those are just a few rules to grow by. And just to recap for you, at the nursery, you want to buy the best. Think small. Small is smarter. Check the plant tags and make sure to have compost. So you buy compost or you make compost. Then when you're in your garden... You're going to improve your soil with that compost. You're going to break up the clods. You're going to water. Plan on watering by creating an irrigation system or at least know you have a hose with a sprinkler. You're going to make sure to provide room to grow for all your plants. You're going to soak the containers before you take them out. And then you're going to plant them. And again, uh, the hole is twice as wide as the root ball and about as deep. Once you planted it, spread the mulch, and then you're going to water deeply. So, hope you enjoyed that. I am known as the Goddess Gardener. You can read my column, Digging Deep, at my blog, thestarlady at wordpress.com, or it will be here on the uh, Press Pass as well, and also in the La Marinda Weekly. When we come back from the break, it's going to be about writers. We're going to talk about What do writers earn, and what are the myths around that? My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and don't go away. We want you to stay tuned. The star you are, be the star you are. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you are. 
up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. I am Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are, and this show is brought to the airwaves under the auspices of the charity Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 literacy and positive media charity. And you can make a donation today. Go to be the star you are.org or btsya.org. It helps keep the radio show here on the air as well as our teen show, Express Yourself, that airs on the Voice America Kids Network every Tuesday at noon. Plus, Be the Star You Are donates books to all the different disaster relief organizations when a disaster strikes, such as the hurricanes and tornadoes, as well as gives books to shelters. So thank you for making a difference. And again, if you want to learn more about Be the Star You Are, Be the Star You Are has just been named for the fourth year in a row a top nonprofit, and only 1% of nonprofits in the U.S., get this um, this accolade, so you can be sure that your donation is going to be well served. Well, interestingly, um, I was reading a an article by Sarah Sheridan, who is a historical novelist and writer, and she was talking about what writers earn and the cultural myth around it. And as I read it, I thought, I have to do a show about this, because if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I am an author. Author. I am an author of six books. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. And since I became um, a bestselling author, I think my income has gone down because everybody assumes that, that as an author, you're making a lot of money. And, you know, there could be nothing kind of further from the truth. It, the writing world is a very interesting, very interesting kind of crazy world. I just finished the 14th edition of my book, The Business of Show Business, which will be available as an enhanced e-book uh, soon. And what we did with this new book, it's going to have audio in it. So you'll be able to hear me talking about things about show business. There'll be interviews and reviews and all of that. And, and so you'll be able to read the book um, as an e-book as well as listen to it. But Getting back to what do authors make, it's really a hugely misunderstood job because there really are no pay grades and there's very little structure. People make interesting assumptions about the profession. People think that the writer is like this mysterious figure, you know, wandering lonely as a cloud, fired by inspiration or, you know, some writers, maybe a cocktail or two. And that writers have it really easy. And especially if you write a bestseller or you have your book made into a movie, people just assume that you'll never have to work again. Or, as we writers know, so the myth goes. She, as Sarah was talking about, when her first novel was optioned for film in 1999, the common response was, wow, you're going off to Barbados. And the option was, she's an English writer, so it was the option, she got paid 3,000 pounds, which is, in those days, was probably about $7,500, which I think even today, it's a fairly average figure for that kind of a, a deal. And what an option means is somebody buys your book rights for a certain amount of time, and like a year or 18 months, and they 
attempt to make it into a film. They try to get a budget and get it off the ground. If they can't, the rights reverse back to you. But if they can, then they have, you know, they have it. Well, what's happened in the last 10 years is that incomes for writers have gone down over the last 10 years. I know when I first wrote Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, we were all told uh, that this was going to make uh, us as writers millionaires, that you could start thinking about buying your house in Hawaii or, you know, again, that place in Barbados. And I actually believed it. And But, of course, that wasn't the truth. You can sell a million books, and when you're only getting five cents a book and over a certain number of years, and that only ends up being $50,000, and that could be over, you know, years So most writers could actually, like actors, could be on the poverty level. There is not a union that is uh, just for authors. I'm a member of the Authors Guild. I'm a member of Garden Writers. And, you know, we have attorneys and there's guidelines for things and, and your agent negotiates. But there isn't any set pat thing. The industry values publishers, editors, and publicists, and they all get paid reliable salaries. But when it comes to writers, there are so many people who want to be a writer, even though they may be horrible at it, that the conditions get a little tougher. At publishing houses, writers sometimes aren't even treated as part of the team. She was talking about, it was interesting last year at Random House, and Random House is actually one of my publishing houses, they made record profits for the book Fifty Shades of Grey. And so they decided to award a bonus of $5,000 to everyone working in the U.S. branch of Random House. However, the writers didn't get anything. Any of the writers that were on their rosters didn't get a penny. So that just shows (laughs) that even the publishing houses don't really even look at the writers as part of the team. So the decision stems from the underlying belief that writers are artists and artists should be doing whatever they do for the love alone and that money sullies the art and, you know, gosh, it's just too bad that you have bills to pay. And that's the hardest part. So from figures compiled by the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society, you can see that for every J.K. Rowling or Ian Rankin, there's a huge, big swath of scribblers out there whose sales don't merit even a living wage. Conversely, the top 10% of writers earn over 50% of the total income. And like all creative industries, it's a winner-take-all game. And it's very much like the entertainment industry. People think because, you know, I happen to be in both industries as an actor and as a writer. So people think if you're an actor, you're making tons of money because Angelina Jolie is and Brad Pitt but the reality is, is it's like 0.10% of actors across the U.S. who are members of Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA are actually making a living salary. And the, the majority of people are just getting by. So for publishers, the hunt is on to find the high earners because then they commission more books than they can, you know, they, they actually commission more books than they actually can make. And they see what sticks. So that's why every year, like BEA has just happened. That is the Book um, Expo America. 
and that's a big, big international book expo where all the new books come out. So usually new books are coming out this time of year. They come out like spring, fall, and right before Christmas. And a lot of the bigger publishers, they just will publish a lot of things. They don't give the authors a publicity budget. And then if they don't, if they fail, they fail because there's, they don't, they didn't give authors advances. And so they don't have much invested in it. And if they get something that just happens to go crazy, then they, they'll decide to put some money behind it. In the United Kingdom, under a quarter of a million traditionally printed books, are published annually. So you set that against the fact the average first novel sells something less than a thousand copies total, and you can see what writers are up against. So, so given a usually small advance by a publisher, a writer still has to earn that money from sales. So let me tell you what that means uh, and what an advance means. And it depends how your agent would write it. Some publishers, it used to be very common for a publisher to give an advance. And that would be, they would give you whatever was negotiated. $5,000, whatever it was. And that was so that you could pay your bills while you were writing the book. And then what, what normally happens is when the book goes to the bookstores, then they deduct the sales off until your advance is paid off. Now, smart agents try to negotiate for their authors that the advance is uh, non-refundable and non-deductible. So, in other words, if the book only sells a 1,000 copies and you were given a $10,000 advance, the author keeps it and they don't owe any money. Now, that is the, that's the way that the writers, it should be, because you're basically a publisher and a writer are partners and they're both putting in equal amount, you know, of, actually the writer's putting in a lot more time. But the publisher might be doing the editing and if they're doing a printed book, they're doing the printing. And if they're doing an ebook, they're trying to design all of that. But the key is, is that the writer is the one that has to sell the book. The writer is the one that has to do the promotion. It's absolutely key to get publicity. Here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every week we bring you authors and new books. Some of the authors are best-selling authors. Some of the authors are brand-new authors. Some of them have uh, been, it's, they've launched right here on the show. So the key, though, for a writer is to get as much publicity and to get the word out there as much as possible. To make any money on a book contract, you really, a writer has to sell a lot of books. And again, if you're only selling a thousand books during the life of the book, that's not going to happen. Now that the odds of making a lot of money are really long. It's a risky profession. And like most jobs, there is a glass ceiling. Interestingly, female writers on average, and this is such a similar number, to what actors, female actors earn versus male actors. Female writers earn only 77.5% on the dollar as much as their male counterparts. And their books are less likely to get reviewed in the traditional press. And for that matter, they are less likely to win awards unless it is a women's prize for something which was, you know, a, like a women's prize for fiction, a women's prize for nonfiction, which is expressly set up to redress that imbalance. 
this means that professional writers of books are earning probably just a, a medium amount of money. They have to work other jobs as well. And unless, if you want to be a professional writer and work as a writer full-time, you probably have to do writing for magazines, freelancing for newspapers, doing blogs, all the other things. The exciting thing is, is like for me, I really love writing. It's exciting when I see the popularity of my books growing. Uh, like all writers, I live in the hopes that it, that this book is going to really make a difference. I know that Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference has made a huge difference for people in their lives. I get letters about that all the time. But here's the larger issue. And that simply that one writer, even if that writer is me, is books have a vital place in our culture. They are the source of ideas, of stories that engage and stretch our imagination. And most importantly, books inspire us. So the digital revolution, you know, has taken a little control away from the corporate publishers and from the white male middle-aged critics. But the financial value put on the job of the writer and the misconceptions around that still make it extremely difficult for newbies to get into the profession. So we have to value the people who inspire us. And money is one mark of that. And that's what we have to do as a culture. To build our culture, we have to pay our writers, our actors, our artists accordingly. So the next time you pick up a book or you're buying a book for pennies on the dollar, remember that that author is probably just making a few cents per book. So you can calculate how long it took. I'll just tell you a good example. Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul was two years to make, two years of working seven days a week. So whatever, when you get five cents a book as a royalty, it doesn't, it doesn't add up very much. Well, thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing us into your life every week. Make sure you are tuned here to this station with me, Cynthia Bryan, and with Heather Brittany. We love being your personal growth success coaches, and we want to bring you the expert advice and success stories from renowned authors around the globe. You can change your life and make your dreams come true. Make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Remember that our aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate. We want you to see beyond your physical being and know that you are already a star. Cherish the past, dream of the future, but celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week because it is like a garden in your pocket. And until we celebrate again next week, remember that for every beauty, there's an eye to see it. For every truth, there's an ear to hear it. For every love, there's a heart to receive it. Love always wins. Smiles make us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Go out into the world and be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our Power Party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, 
the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You are.